All right. Well, if you're visiting with us, welcome. Um, want to let you know we've been in, in a study of the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you know Ecclesiastes and you're going, what? You've been a, doing a study on the book of Ecclesiastes every week? And uh, the answer is yes, we have. And it's been great. I've been, uh, just been awesome myself to be able to sit back and listen to um, some of the guys teach. John did an amazing job last week. Just some really great insights and perspective on this book of wisdom. Um, and uh, today, uh, I'm picking up in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 8. We're going to work through about five verses in this scripture. Um, and before we do so, um, you know what? Let's just read it. And... Uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of this other stuff. Verse, verse 8, it says this. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever lose, loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. We see this theme throughout. This too is meaningless. That word meaningless is vanity. And so not only is it worthless, but it's, we make it about us. So it's talking already about something, a condition of a district or a land, that there's a lot of stuff going on that just doesn't seem right. There's a lot of poor. There's a lot of oppressed. There's rights and justices denied. And then it talks about there's, a, there's this levels uh, in society of there are, you know, that there, there are those who are, who are overseen by others and there's always a higher official. And then it talks about, it moves into the idea of work and the profit and who gains profit from these levels. And, and it moves into the idea of what is profit. Talking about money initially. And that wealth never satisfies. And then it ties it back to the theme throughout Ecclesiastes that this is vanity. That it's meaningless. In verse 11, it continues, it says, as the goods increase, so do those who consume them. So it's talking about, hey, there's this cycle that's happening. And there's stuff being created and things being produced and things going on. And there's always someone there to consume them, to receive them, to take them. And there's this cycle and it's really communicating this, this ongoing thing that's just continuing and continuing and continuing. It says, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? So he now transitions into ownership, not just leadership or levels of who's above who and who's the worker and who the profit and, and what the profit is and the value of the profit. And as it increases, is it really meaningless? Is it, but, but the benefit are those for the owners as they feast their eyes on them. In verse 12, it goes back then away from the owner to the laborer, to the worker. And it says the sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat little or much. So it's unconditional. The sleep of the laborer is little, as long as they have a little. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Now, I, I explained a lot. I, I kind of pushed fast forward as I was reading the scripture to, to try and give a little context as we were working through it. But I got to admit, the first time I read this scripture on Monday, I thought, what? I really did. It almost seemed like five different verses from five different books just kind of thrown together like there's no linear thread here. There's no... And I, and I struggled a little bit uh, reading the scripture thinking, okay, maybe I'll just skip this. Um, why does that happen in Ecclesiastes? Every time I want to teach Ecclesiastes, I feel like I just want to skip whatever I'm supposed to be teaching this week. Um, 
So I'm thinking about it. I'm looking into it. And of course, my eyes are drawn to this idea of the poor and the oppressed and, and, and the withholding justice and all this stuff. And if you've been around ANC more than, than, than 25 minutes, then you know um, that it's our heart to try and figure out how to do what we feel like Scripture is telling us what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to be as the church. And our heart is that it, maybe you're here today and you're, you're, you're just trying to figure out church. Or maybe you don't like church. Or maybe you're not even sure if you like God yet or whatever. But my, my hope is, and our hope is, and my belief is, is that if we paint a picture of truly what the church could be and should be, that, that those who are, who are committed believers who, who kind of look at their own life and say, there's got to be more to it than this, will find that hope and purpose and that leading in that direction. And that those who maybe are looking to see if it's, it's real or if it's something I should believe in or something I want to, we want to paint a real picture of what it's supposed to look like as a Christ follower. So we don't want to have any kind of cheap substitutes or anything like that. But, but our focus and our heart has been to, to see the injustice in the world and in our city and in our own lives and try and do something about it. So I look at this scripture and it says, if you see the poor oppressed in the, in the district and justice rights tonight, it says, do not be surprised. And my eye instantly goes there and I begin to think about all the things going on in our own city, in our own context. I think about the wildfires that are going on and, and all the people who are serving and all the people who are connected through our restore groups and on Serve Us on Sundays. And, and, and I'm just, first of all, I get, I get really proud. And I think, man, literally dozens of families are being helped by individuals and community groups and people here at ANC. They're getting plugged in and connected. There's so many people going on. Matthew will talk about it a little bit later on, but there's this great initiative that we've been a part of, and Matthew's done a huge job in planning and being a part of called Free Austin. And this week, it's, it's just this week-long focus on spreading awareness of how, believe it or not, human trafficking is even an issue in our own city. And just increasing awareness and education and all this. And Matthew, you mentioned it's the first of its kind. This is the first in any city, right? Not just Austin for a week-long emphasis. Okay, something like that. Anyways, the good is, is all this stuff is going on. And all these people are involved. And all these people are serving. And we're looking at this. And then it says, if you see the poor and oppressed, just don't be surprised. So I look at it and I'm like, okay. This debate and this conversation about serving the poor and doing all these things, there's been this great divide in the history of the church of those that feel it's just social gospel and it's compromising who Jesus is. And then there's over here who just say you just have to speak it, don't really do it. It's all a metaphor and stories and all this stuff. And there's this line you almost feel like you have to, the, to, to walk on and not fall one way or the other. And it's a very real tension in our lives. And then we start serving and get involved and trying to invest ourselves. And then we have a very real world in life that we're living with and it's scary and we look at it sometimes and we're like oh no god if i do this are you going to make me do this or this what's next and there's this there's like where's the end of this tunnel of serving and and we get in and we do it and it doesn't go like we thought it would and it gets messy and confusing and all this stuff and then we see verses like this it says if you see the poor constantly what's going on don't be surprised they're just going to be there so this week I'm reading through John, the book of John, with some, with some friends of mine. And we're studying this and, and, and trying to figure out where to go with Ecclesiastes 5. God, what do you want us to learn from this? And I look at John 12, 8, and there's this story of Jesus who is sitting uh, in Lazarus' house just days after Lazarus was raised from the dead, just six days before his crucifixion. And Jesus is sitting in this house having dinner. 
And it paints this picture of people trying to do the right thing. And, and, and the one picture is of Martha, who's in, who's in the kitchen serving and, and handing out dishes and, you know, making this great food and, and making sure everybody feels good. And, and, and then there's Mary, who's by Jesus and just at his feet, just weeping. And the scripture says that she had a pint, a big old a pint of the most expensive perfume. And she's pouring it on his feet and wiping her hair on his feet, and it's an interesting picture today, but, um, so she's, she's doing this, and then you have some of the disciples, including a guy named Judas, sitting there looking at it, going, why is she doing that? She's wasting all that money we could have given to the poor, and then here's Martha over here looking at her, going, doesn't she know we need to be serving these guys in this way, and there's all this confusion about what it means to serve, and what, what it looks like, and it proves that there is messiness, And that it could be confusing. But then as the story goes on, it exposes our agenda. And it exposes our purpose and our reasoning. And our motivation for serving. When Judas looked at the perfume, verse 5, he said, Wasn't this the perfume? Or he says, Why wasn't this the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He says, It was worth a year's wages. That's a lot. Verse 6, He did not say this. Because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone, Jesus replied. And this is the verse that got me. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And it kind of set me back for a moment. And it confused me for a second. I'm like, why are you saying this? And, and I began to think of it in light of Ecclesiastes uh, 5. And I think there's a couple of things that are going on in this, in this, this storyline that helps us understand what's going on in Ecclesiastes 5. The first one is, is that it exposes our, our real motive. It kind of draws out. And it wasn't Jesus that said it. He didn't go, I know you, dude. You want to take this money for yourself. You don't really care about the poor. But as it's written, it's revealed that that was his true motive. And, and you see the motive of Martha trying to serve and do these things... And then you see the heart of Mary as she's pouring out these expensive perfumes. I think, first of all, it's kind of calling our bluff in some way. And I think, second, it just reminds us what Jesus is saying here is among all that we do, I want to call it work. Maybe Bible study for you is work. Maybe coming to church for you is work. Maybe just trying to be a Christian dad or husband is just hard work. Maybe, maybe being a Christian at work is work. Maybe serving the poor for you, engaging a family that needs help with fire, after the fire, or a home, walking with a homeless man, or, or thinking about the idea of adoption. Maybe that is your work. Maybe that is just work for you. What Jesus is saying is among all of that work, don't forget to cherish me. Don't forget that I'm the reason that this is even possible and that there's something bigger going on here than you. And what a great reminder. It's probably shocking. You will always have the poor. You won't always have me. It's a perspective change. And I I think in this Ecclesiastes 5, it's, 
you know, we kind of jump on this idea of work. And it's talking about the worker and the owner and the profit and all this stuff. Profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, the money or whatever is the benefit. And it begins to address and, and pull out this, this paradox in our way of thinking. This, this, real, this, real, this, or this, this shift in, in our way of thinking. And in that we typically think in our Western context and the way we succeed in life is that we get higher, higher, higher. Everybody else works for us, right? And then we get to benefit the most from it. And so it's really counterculture for us as believers, as Jesus said, to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And as we work, what he's saying is it's better to be the worker than it is the owner. And there's many reasons why for this. So as we think about our lot and we think about our work, we have to look at this scripture with this eternal perspective. James says faith without works is dead. All right, again, don't get confused on a doctor of salvation and how we are saved, but dead means worthless. And so as we're thinking about these things, let's, let's go back into Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And let's think about the work. Let's think about the worker. Let's think about whether that's in serving the poor or whatever it may be. There's three things I, I think we really, I hope we can draw from today and get as practical as we can about why we do what we do in trying to take an eternal perspective, a spiritual perspective on this storyline. I'm pretty sure that's the reason it was written. Three things I want to draw out. The first one is, as we're reminded, verse 8 says, if you see the porn oppressed, you see injustice, you see rights denied, don't be surprised. Tie that with what Jesus said, you'll always have them, the poor among you. The first thing is there will always be work to do. Here's just our reality. As believers, as we're seeking, as we're trying to grow, as we're living our journey, there will always be work to do. There will always be work to do. And at first, that might just be like, well, dang, then why even try, right? But there's actually an encouragement behind this that I think is coming. There will always be work to do. And the focus then is, don't worry about tomorrow's work. It'll be there. Worry about today. To become this, this daily worker. Don't be surprised that it's still there. Don't be surprised that the poor are still among us. That when we think about this work and this thing, all this stuff that there is to do because we're Christians and we're supposed to, all of these things we're supposed to do, he's saying, don't be surprised that it's there. All right? So this tells us a lot about the work itself. As you look at that, so what, what can we learn about the work itself? If it's always going to be there, what do we learn about the work itself? Think about it. No, I'm, I mean, I think that's the truth. That what? Okay, so we can't complete it. It's one, yes. Huh? So we must need it, or must need? You said need? Oh, what do you think of that one? That it is, what is fulfilling? The work in itself? It's our daily bread. We need it. What else does it teach you? If, if the work's always there, and Jesus says, do it anyways, that maybe the goal is not necessarily to get rid of the work, now, there's a deeper lesson there. What else comes to mind? If you're thinking it, say it. Unless you're wrong, then don't say it. Hmm. 
Yeah, that it's something to learn from. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing is that there's, some, there's a, that there's more questions to be asked about it. Okay? And, and I think in the next couple of verses, it brings up a couple of topics. The increase in the land, it starts talking about. talks about this, this who's in charge. Uh, who gets the credit? Who gets the profit? The king or, or, or the worker? And then what is the profit? The, the love of money? Well, it says it's never enough. And the, what about just the concept, the whole idea of wealth that money brings? It's never satisfying. It's meaningless. It's vanity. And so I think it brings up a couple questions. If the challenge is not the work accomplished or the task at hand accomplished, the questions are, one, who profits from it? And what is the profit of it? When we go and, and we serve for our profit, or we, our heart and the desire of what we're doing is that we would gain. And this is a real problem in, for us because we're human. And because we want some ROI, you know, we want some return on investment. And we want to, and that's probably the biggest thing that gets in the way of us experiencing the fruit and the joy and the peace that Jesus calls us to and wants to offer. Is because the poor will always be among us. But Jesus, he's saying, cherish me among that work. There will always be work to, to do. There will always be work. The work is daily. And let's think about it that it's daily. And let's um, not just concentrate on all the other things. And not just the work accomplished or the task at hand. But are we profiting? Who are we working for? And then what is the true benefit? Verse 10. So there will always be work to do. The second thing that, that, that as I was looking at this, it kind of pulls out is this idea that there's no advantage for the worker to consume his own work. If you're working and that's your livelihood, or you're working and that is what you do, if you just do it for yourself, the only good that is for you is you have provided for yourself now. And there's nothing left to benefit anything beyond Verse 11 says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. I think it's, a, it's an issue, and it's exposing an issue in the church today. I, maybe this has been always. I think Jesus pointed this out quite a bit. Um, just the danger of what we do existing for us. That, that we, we can even sit and worship uh, in a worship song f- and do it because we like it, and because it feels good, and because we like to sing. And we want people to, next to us to hear us sing in harmony, you know? Um, we're really weird that way. And it's really hard for us when there's an opportunity to serve, not to, not to t- want to tell people about it. Or to go do it because we think it's going to feel good. Or do it because you're a mom and dad and you want your kids to experience it. Or, and there's some, there's some secondary motives that aren't necessarily bad. Um, but we have to be careful of our, our, our nature and our desire just to consume even some noble things or to do them. The reason we do them is uh, just for us. We've talked about this before. When we first started ANC, we used to do our main service deal was our serve Austin Sunday, but we did it every month. Once a month, Castle Church goes serve together. It was, a, it was amazing. It was great. I mean, I'd never done anything like that before. And a lot of people, they, they're just like, wait, you cancel church? You know, I talk to other pastors. Wait, when do you take an offering? I'm like, oh, we just, we just don't. We just go serve. And it was kind of, it was a paradigm shift for a lot of people, for many here in this room. It still is. I can't believe we, you know, but it became a problem at one point because it was not accomplishing the task that we thought biblically it was supposed to accomplish. 
Because what happened is, is a group of pastors planned an event that we could go serve at, and a church showed up and served. And there was really no investment or sacrifice or anything for people just to show up and do this. And it was way too easy for us, all of us, to just consume the event of serving. And very quickly, there's a danger of it becoming about us. And um, I'm not saying we're bad people for that. I just, this is our reality. This is what we have to struggle through as Christ followers. This, this real thing that we don't want to hide, that we don't want to pretend is not there. This is where our real struggle is. Because if it is about us and it doesn't go like we want it to, then we want to give up. And we start questioning the validity of it. And then we start wondering, where God, where were you on that one? You know, so we have to get our perspective right. And giving credit where credit is due. And make sure that we're not just consuming. There's no advantage for the worker to consume his own work. Because as the goods increase, there will always be others to consume it. This is this pattern. All right. And then the third thing that comes to my mind as I look at this scripture. In verse 12, it says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet. Whether they eat little or much, but it's for the rich. Their abundance permits them no sleep. This is the thing I wrestle with about being a Christ follower the most is that Jesus says that, that um, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Christianity is the only faith, it's the only religion that is completely inclusive to anyone, no matter who they are, not based on what they've done, but based on what Jesus has done. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's this... This, there's supposed to be this hope and this peace and this, this journey that brings fulfillment and contentment and all of this stuff. And yet we struggle with that so much, even in serving. Oh, I can't do enough. Man, I, I know I'm doing this, but I need to be doing that. And what about tomorrow this? But what if I do this, then what happens with, with that? Here's the point. There's no burden for those whose work is daily. When they know there's work to do tomorrow. Does that make sense? Because they're working today and they know there's a bunch of work tomorrow. They don't have to worry about it. They just do their work today. Their livelihood does not depend on whether or not the company succeeds. They just do the work today. They go home and they just pass out on their bed because they're just tired and poured out for what they did. And they know they're just going to get up tomorrow and there's going to be more work for them. It's a gift. That's a gift. So what are we really doing here? And again, I want us, I think he's using the illustration of dealing with poverty and injustice and all this work and being overwhelmed. And, and, but, but, but he's also, it's very relevant also to every aspect of our Christian journey and the motive of our work and the why we do what we do. It's hoping that our faith is not without works. Because we don't want it to be meaningless. We don't want it to be wasteful. And this is this theme uh, throughout Ecclesiastes um, 5. But here's the perspective, and it's ultimately where it all, where the rubber meets the road on this verse, I think, is that the increase of the land is taken by all, verse 9 says, and the king himself profits from the fields. And, and here's the thought on this. You know, the, the first point, there will be work to do, raises two questions. One is, what, what is the profit? And the other one is, who profits from it? Is it us? Is our motive our profit? Well, verse 9 reminds us that everyone benefits when the kingdom benefits. 
And that's really hard to believe. But everyone benefits when the kingdom benefits. Even the king himself profits, it says, from the fields. Work for the king, ultimately good for the kingdom. This is, um, this is really hard for me um, as, as a human being. And this is, I think, our struggle. I think this is why Jesus talks about denying ourselves daily. And, and in the same way, we shouldn't get frustrated when we fail at it. We shouldn't get, there's, it's not hopeless. It's not, we failed. We're blind. It never depended on you anyways. It's upon the grace of Christ. So we do what we can. So we serve daily as needs arise. So we commit ourselves daily and we sleep well and we go to the next day. We serve like crazy and then we trust Jesus for the results and then we sleep well. And when we do this, we can rest assured it's more about Jesus than us. I want to give just a couple things that, that I'm, I'm, I'm reminded and I'm learning from the scripture in Ecclesiastes 5 about serving, specifically giving of ourselves, that I, w- I want you to write down if you can. If you have the, the uh, page with scripture, flip it over and just write down these things. I'm going to give some bullet thoughts from it. Um, and these are based on this scripture, but also emails I get, phone calls, conversations of where we struggle individually as Christ followers. The first one is this. Try hard to go beyond the event of serving. Try hard to go beyond the event of serving. If you find yourself where you are just going from one scheduled event to another to try and be a part of it or whatever, and it has not become somehow a part of your daily rhythms of life or you're figuring out how to live that in community or whatever, be, be aware of that because there's danger of you just consuming that event instead of giving the sacrifice it takes to invest yourself and make it about him and not us. So beware of the event to move beyond that in, in fighting that consumerism. The second one is be content with your lot. Be content with where you are serving. It is more significant than you know. You're going to miss out on, on the opportunity right in front of you if you're so concerned about what that might lead to or what else is down the road. Just be faithful to what God has put in front of you. Third one, don't give up when you don't see the results you hoped for. Because we've already said it's not about the results because that's not contingent upon us. Some of you are serving like crazy and you're not making a dent and you're getting frustrated. And you want to throw up your hands and you want to give up. And you go, wow, this was cool for a few months and now it's just annoying. <laughs> Keep pressing. And trust with the results. And know that it's not for us, it's for kingdom. See, r- r- these results are way too big to measure daily. Yet we keep trying to. Keep pressing. Uh, For commit to the collective good. Don't believe the lie of my kingdom or my part in the kingdom. There is a collective good that is happening that we need one another, that our stories validate one another's story collectively as the church. Okay? Your thing is not greater than someone else's thing in this church. It's together that makes it great. This collective good. The next one. Don't hold back for the big moment. When we do, we can be sure it's about us. 
Don't hold back for that big money. I know a lot of people who, who just say, yeah, I just don't get this and this and this. I want to be a part of this more sustainable thing that just lasts forever, blah, 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 all this stuff. It's like, great, how's that going for you? Oh, yeah, well, I haven't started yet. Yeah, but you're, you're 53. When are you going to start it? Be faithful with what's in front of you. And I, I don't think I read the scripture on it, but Jesus told um, uh, Judas to leave Mary alone. And he said, this perfume, it was designated for my burial. That was his reasoning why it was okay for her to use it now. It's almost like, well, then why is he using it for your burial? You know, but he was saying, no, why wait for my burial when you can do it now? Pour out yourself now. Okay. I think that's another thing. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think this is really important. Um, Think about in Christ reinventing yourself, not reinventing your behavior. What I mean by that is it's easy for us to change our behavior and ignore changing who we are. We are made new in Christ. And our reasoning has to follow that for why we serve and what we do. And the last thing is just a reminder. You know what? When you look at that person or that face, I don't care if it's a homeless guy or um, someone whose house just burned down or um, a foster kid or an orphan. Um, if it's just someone broken emotionally and relationally and they just have no hope. When you look in their eyes, you have to remember that you're serving you're serving Jesus, not just that person. We have to serve today like we're serving Jesus because we are. Matthew 25. I'm just going to read this. I wrote this in a blog earlier this week, but it was just the heart of what I'm thinking. That the very reason we serve the poor or those in need is because of Jesus and his gospel. Without this motivation, it is simply the goodwill of man, not the good news of a loving Savior. We serve and we work so that others may see the hope that we have in Christ. When that's our motivation, everything else falls into place. But we have to be careful because we hijack it ourselves, right? So let's just look at it. We pray that this, this city, this nation, this this county, our, our communities would, would, would know the love of God, love of Christ. They would truly feel them, that they would live with hope because that's what Jesus offered us. Let's pray.